No, the resilience of the theater maker has been unbelievably inspiring to me. There's been a pivot to, of course, Zoom theater and theater in storefronts and on sidewalks. We all know it'll be back. That's the thing. Theater has survived thousands and thousands of years, wars, plagues, the invention of the television where everyone thought it was really dead, the invention of the internet where they were like, forget it, no one's ever going to go to the theater again. And of course, the last (laughs) 10 years before this have been our most successful ever. So, you know, we've all been like, okay, what do we got to do to get through uh, to make sure we're ready for what comes on the other side, which I actually believe is going to be a renaissance on the other side of this. Hello and welcome to Year of the Pivot on the Beyond Networking Podcast. This season, we're learning from individuals and organizations who made monumental shifts in 2020 in order to keep their business alive and continue their mission. I'm your host, Brian Miller, an author, speaker, and consultant on human connection. Today, we have one of our featured experts for the season. Ken Davenport is a two-time Tony Award-winning Broadway producer. He is best known for Spring Awakening, Kinky Boots, and the revival of Godspell. Ken is renowned in the theater community as an innovative marketer. In 2008, he started a blog called The Producer's Perspective, dedicated to making the business of Broadway accessible and understandable to anyone. He also created Be a Broadway Star, the only Broadway-themed board game. Ken and I met when we were both panelists on the same live stream last year in the middle of 2020. He spoke so passionately about theater's resilience, I knew I had to invite him to our little corner of the internet. In this conversation, Ken helps us understand where Broadway is and where it's likely going. In particular, he answered the burning question, did Hamilton's streaming success open the doors to an entirely new revenue stream for theater? My wife, Lindsay, and I are Broadway fanatics, as you know, so this was a huge treat. Also, last-minute update, Ken and I recorded this conversation in January of 2021, but as I'm releasing it in May, after months of successful vaccine rollouts, it's just been announced that Broadway will be allowed to reopen at 100% capacity in September, which is great news. Check the show notes for all the ways to connect with Ken. Head to yearofthepivot.com for the Pivot Power newsletter, get notified when a new episode drops, the Pivot Pearl of the Week, and gain access to exclusive live streams, masterminds, and clubhouse get-togethers. And now I bring you Ken Davenport. This episode was made possible by Riverside.fm. Capture full, high-quality, raw audio in up to 4K video natively and without any internet interruptions. That's right, even if the internet blips out during the live call, your recording remains pristine. Head to Riverside.fm for your free trial and a big thank you for sponsoring Year of the Pivot. All right, Ken, thank you so much. I really, I know how busy you are, how busy we all are, so I really appreciate your time today. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, listen, let's start with the most pressing question, which is, you created a board game about Broadway. (laughs) 
that, which I only discovered true. this week. <laughs> that is true. I created what is now the only board game about Broadway. It's called Be a Broadway Star. It's a mixture of life and charades with a little celebrity thrown in there as well. Uh, yeah, it's been actually like over 10 years since that sucker has uh, uh, been one of Jeff Bezos' top-selling Broadway gifts. So we're very proud of it. <laughs> That's first of all, that's amazing. And second of all, I don't know how we've never heard of it. We, my wife and I are Broadway fanatics and board game fanatics. And somehow not until this week did I discover that. So I can that will definitely be on our gift to ourselves at some point. This well, you year. let me know. It's, I can get you one for full price anytime you want. You just <laughs> just let me know. I will, Although I will I, be I'm, thrilled. I'm glad you pointed that out because it really proves that if you've just heard about it now after 10 years, I'm a really shitty marketer. I'm really failing at my job if you're a Broadway fan and didn't know that thing existed. Or or more likely, and, and more to the point of what's going on in the world right now, which is uh, it's incredibly noisy and there's a lot of stuff. And even the people who want to know about the things that they want to know about have a hard time finding out about them. So maybe we can, we can steer into that. Um, you know, before we do that, what, what are you working on this week, though? Like, what's on your plate right now in, in February 2021? Well, it's it's a very interesting question because, you know, as we all know, Broadway is shut down. The theater is shut down for the most part. Uh, so it changes every day. You know, I am doing a lot of R&D right now. One of the best pieces of advice I got from a mentor of mine early was uh, this is a great time to look at the plumbing of your business to look behind the walls, uh, to look at product pipelines, to to do that kind of work so that when the doors open up again, when the curtains rise, you are ready to go and more efficient and well-oiled and also have a lot of stuff to spit out into the market than ever before. So we, you know, I'm doing a lot of prep on musicals that I had in the pipeline, I have a Neil Diamond musical. I have a musical based on the Vacation movie franchise, a musical based on the life of Joy Mangano, uh, who is the subject of the movie Joy. So we're like prepping those. I'm also acquiring some new stuff. Um, and then, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time on a company that I founded called the Theater Makers Studio, um, which was born out of the blog and podcast that I've been uh, that I've had for over 10 years now. Um, which was about helping theater makers out there uh, do what I do and and get to the places that I've got to and the places I still want to go to, actually. Because when I started in the business, there wasn't that. For anyone that wanted to write a play or a musical or produce a play or direct a play or whatever that was, there was no information anywhere on how to do it, especially if you strive to work on Broadway or off-Broadway, because we're a very closed-door industry. Mm. So I vowed that one day, if I achieved any level of success, I would start sharing some of the secrets and the strategies and the paths and think about it like a real business, like anything else. Uh, I, I call myself a serial startup guy. So um, this has been a time where theater makers, people that write, produce, create, direct, it's been a very difficult time. And I, I was very concerned that a lot of them would give up and not want to continue to pursue it. So about, I don't know, five years ago or so, I developed this, this uh, site, which has now become uh, the Theater Maker Studio, which is like a masterclass community for theater makers, playwriting classes, budgeting classes, all the stuff that they need, and really a community. 
Like that's where we differ from masterclass because like you can come in and meet all these other people that are um, doing what you want to do and get pumped up by them and uh, talk about um, what's going on. So I've put a lot of time into that because frankly, this is, um, these are my people. These, this, this is my tribe. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that they didn't give up. Uh, I'm a big believer that the world is a better place if there's more theater in it. Well, there's only more theater in it if there are more theater makers making it. So I've spent a lot of time in uh, helping that community out as best I can. Yeah. I love that you you kind of highlighted the fact that the theater community was very closed off. And of course, I, for, for me, I was a full-time magician for 10 years. I did corporate event entertainment. But, you know, magic was, a, was an industry that for, until about 10 years ago also for all of human history was incredibly closed off. I mean, it was built to be closed off. And, and uh, there's one of my favorite quotes in magic, and I, I, I'm having Groundhog's Day because I, this exact same topic came up yesterday when I was chatting with uh, Dan Cockrell, who was the vice president of the Magic Kingdom for you know, 10, 20 years, whatever it was. And one of my favorite quotes in magic is that most non-magicians, the average people think that somewhere in the mountains, somewhere there's like a cave and in that cave is a, is a safe, a vault. And if only you could get into that vault, that's where all the secrets of magic are. And the secret is that vault is empty, right? There's nothing in it. And, and so I love the fact that you wanted to bring the access to theater and the, the, the culture of creating theater to, to everybody. Are you finding in your community that people's, I don't know, their mindset is down? Are people, I mean, it's been a year of this. I mean, are people frustrated? Are they finding ways to get excited? Are they finding ways to continue doing this virtually? What are you seeing? Well, that's what's been amazing. And, you know, I, I should have known better when I was concerned. Like one of the first things I did was I popped online and did a like a town hall presentation called how theater makers can make the most of their quarantine and what they should do and focus on. And actually a lot of it was like, look at the plumbing of your business and your product pipeline, the same stuff that I was doing. Like a lot of the studio and what I write about my blog is I, I'm in the trenches, right? I'm in the trenches of the major leagues of theater on Broadway. And I like to try different stuff and, and that's what I'm really known for. So I'm in those trenches doing all sorts of different things and I just take back whatever I'm doing and share it with other people who wanna do what I do. Uh, so what was amazing to me is that no, they weren't down. They were like, this is what we do. We're theater. It's always hard. So what else have you got for us? Come on. We can pivot like the best of them. And, and actually when you think about it, who best to pivot? than creative people, yeah. people with an incredible yeah. imagination. You know, it's it's yeah. the people that are stuck in the nine to five, I do the same thing, corporate every single day gig. Those are the people I worry about the most now because they haven't been trained in the, in the, the imagination and creativity that theater makers have been trained in. And I do a lot of consulting and speaking to corporate groups on this very subject, on how to put the drama, how to, how to put the creativity and imagination in some of the most boring jobs there are. Um, because I do believe like, ev you know, every task can be creative. Every position is creative. Steve Jobs, Henry Ford, Sarah Blakely, whoever you want to talk about it uh, in terms of like a corporate pioneer was an artist. 
Yeah. They were artists. They designed something beautiful that no one had ever seen before that we found use for. Uh, and the same thing is true. So, no, the resilience of the theater maker has been unbelievably inspiring to me. There have been a pivot to, of course, Zoom theater and theater in storefronts and on sidewalks. We all know it'll be back. That's the thing. Theater yeah. has survived thousands and thousands of years, wars, plagues, the invention of the television where everyone thought it was really dead, the invention of <laughs> the right. internet where they were like, forget it, no one's ever going to go to the theater again. And of course, the last <laughs> 10 years before this have been our most successful ever. So, oh, yeah. you know, we've all been like, okay, what do we got to do to get through uh, to make sure we're ready for what comes on the other side, which I actually believe is going to be a renaissance on the other side of this. Uh, that's what history has yeah. told us in the past, and I think that is going to repeat itself. And do you think it's going to be a renaissance because people are so, like, theater goers are so excited to get back to it, or because uh, this kind of wiped out every everything that wasn't kind of the best of the best or the most creative or the most interesting, and that's what's going to survive coming back, or some combination of the two? Like anything, it's always a combination of a variety of sources. But yeah, look, people are asking like, oh, and doing surveys and I'm like, oh, no one's going to wants to do this. No one wants to do this. They're in the middle of it. Of course, they don't want to do with it. But you get that vaccine pumped into everyone's arm. You establish herd immunity. This world is going to party like it's never effing party before. <laughs> I mean, that's it. I've already yeah. I, I'm like, sweetheart to my wife, like, where are we going Let's just go. Let's go to Bali. Let's go on vacation here. Seriously. Can we afford it? I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. <laughs> I mean, this is it's it. We're going to see an explosion of that type of yeah. entertainment, that uh, a happy vaccine, if you will. We are going to need to gather, need to be with people, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna celebrate the end of this thing. And they're gonna do that by going to the theater. I was just going to say, and if you can't afford to go to Bali, you can afford to go to your local theater. Like that's that's the beauty of of getting transported. You know, it's it's so interesting because, I mean, being, you know, having been a full time entertainer for 10 years and then ever since for the last six or seven, I've been a, a speaker and coach and consultant and doing all that thing. So I've been in the conference industry and the live event industry my entire life. I've never literally never had a job. I've always been self-employed and I've always been in that field. And so for me, you know, March 12th to March 14th was like the scariest two days of my life. Like my whole life's work collapsed, my ability to feed my family. We had a baby on the way that nobody knew about Ugh. yet at the time. So I have a four month old now, almost five month old now, um, became first time parents in the middle of the pandemic. It, it was all kinds of nuts, but I'm ready to get back out there. I think you had posted on Facebook just half an hour before we jumped onto this call asking what's the most recent, like the last live show you saw, um, you know, before everything fell apart. I was actually trying to think about that as uh, as you were jumping on. I, I think it was Darren Brown live on Broadway just before he closed. I think I caught him in the last week. And right before that, it might have been Hamilton because I had surprised my wife for her birthday with with tickets to Hamilton which was never heard which of was that amazing show. Is it I good? know Is it a hit? I know you know what it was good uh, <laughs> it was, although it's hard to see any show that you literally know the words inside and out by the original cast I have to say 
no matter how much you know it's not going to be the same as the recording that you've internalized, it is really weird to see a show that you've internalized that much for so long. But it was obviously the power of the theater was incredible. On the note of Hamilton, though, so much has been made about the the broadcast, right, the recording and and people saying, well, ha- look at Hamilton just proved that moving forward, we can do live stream, we can do virtual. D- did they or do you really need to have already had that kind of fan base or or a Kinky Boots fan base or a Spring Awakening fan base, which, by the way, my wife was like, tell him I love Spring Awakening. Oh, thanks. That was a production. We're very, very proud of that. Well, first of all, congratulations on the four-month-old. That's Thank you. Uh, phenomenal. And uh, what an interesting blessing of a time to actually uh, to have a baby around because you get to spend so much time with them. That's great. Every second. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so I have a two-year-old, so it's been similar. Um, wow, so, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, look, it's a very good question because – it's, you know, something is a success and everyone goes like, look, everybody can do it. Look what they can do. Look what they can do. Look what they can do. And here's what it proved that obviously there's a tremendous value in that content. There's a way to shoot that content, stream that content, show that content to people. It live up to the hype. Uh, I believe I preached this since 2000 and I don't know, 14, 15, but that streaming theater would be a thing. I actually was the first producer to live stream a Broadway or off-Broadway show, and that was Daddy Long Legs in 2015, which is now on Broadway wow. HD. Uh, and we did it with no advertising, and 135,000 people, 150,000 people tuned in from 135 countries around the world. Uh, wow. We knew it was a thing. We knew it. And what Hamill, it was, you know, no one knows that show, really. So... Um, but yeah, here comes Hamilton, and it's obviously a thing, and it's not going to go away. It's not going to replace theater in the same way that showing the Boston Red Sox, you know, doesn't replace going to Fenway Park live. Like, it just doesn't. Or hearing a great. streaming on your favorite artist on Spotify as opposed to going to the concert, it makes you want to go in more. Yes, you're always yeah. going to lose some people. There are going to be some people that saw Hamilton are like, I don't need to see it again. But there are going to be many more that are like, I must see that live now. I have to when I get to New York. I have to, I have to, I have to. And we know this now because we've seen, you know, mediocre movies of musicals actually spike the the box offices here. So, yeah, it's a thing. Now, the question is, is what happens next and how do we find markets for all of them? And most importantly, like, look, I... I am kicking myself now for not having every single one of my shows in a vault somewhere that I could have released, right? Yeah. Hamilton had the luxury of being able to spend the 5 to $10 million to shoot that show with its original cast and then put it in a vault. Mm. It's very expensive to do that. The unions make it very expensive, but Hamilton could afford it, so they very smartly did it. On, on a few of my shows, I would have loved to have done it. But the problem is I had a choice. Take a million or two million or whatever it would have cost me at that time, spend it on putting it in the vault and crossing my fingers, or put it into the show because I'm trying to get to the show to next month or the month after. Hamilton's destiny was already determined by the time they spent the money to shoot that thing. Most musicals and plays, that's not the case. So producers like us are faced with this ginormous risk of do we do this now? 
and 99% of us say no because we want the show to work because if the show works, then everything else will follow. Mm-hmm. Where it needs to change is that ginormous risk, the huge costs that are now prohibitive, preventing 99% of us from doing it, should come way down. And I'm not saying we don't pay people. What I'm saying is every single show should be able to shoot and capture their show without asking for any additional work, right, for free and put it in a vault. And then if it gets sold, everybody gets a bonanza payday. So as long as you don't require your company to do anything else, if you they rehearse, they get paid. But if they just come in and perform, you should be able to shoot it, chop it up, put it in the vault, and sell it to Disney. And if it sells for $75 million, then great. Then everyone shares in a big percentage. But I shouldn't be penalized for, for or have to pay for people to do their own work if I'm not yet benefiting from it. Right. And that's where the problem is right now. And I don't blame the unions. I don't blame anyone, even authors, because no one knew, no one knows the value of it. So right. they just have to value it very high. So this is one of the areas that I'm obviously the most vocal about changing as we go forward, because this, if all shows had been able to capture their material for a low cost or no cost, all of them would have released over the last year and thousands of artists would have gotten money. Thousands and thousands would have gotten money from actors to designers to authors. And that's where we all didn't do our jobs. And now we can, and looking forward to make sure that our artists don't have a stream of revenue from these kinds of sources in the future. That's such an interesting, I would see that's the kind of thing that even somebody who's a lover of theater, a lover of Broadway, you know, we don't know the inside works. And as you were describing the cost, I was just going, I mean, it's expensive to shoot multi-cam, you know, lots of cameras and the audio mixing is a nightmare. Most I, I, I have a background in audio engineering, so I went to school for. So I, when I watched Hamilton, everybody was like, oh, the camera angles. And I was like, oh, my God, those poor audio engineers. Like I was listening. How did they mix this? It's impossible. But I, I couldn't figure out how you were getting to such high costs until you, you said you kind of backdoored it into that conversation that it's it, there. There's contracts, right, with the unions where they can't film versus doing it live it's a different contract is that basically what the problem what has been the problem is if you turn on cameras for anything else but press related activity around the theater to shoot for something people get paid and you have to remember there are i forget the number but there are actors there are stagehands there are ushers there are managers there are design all union protected there's a hundred different unions back there and then there are authors and directors and choreographers and and everyone needs to get paid, provided the thing is supplementing the pocket of the production. That's where the thing is. If it's not doing it, then why should we have to pay? Now, the, the counter argument, because you're the producer, you're taking a risk, and I get it. And you know what? If people came back and said, you're right, you have to take a risk, I would. But right now, the risk is too great. And because the risk is too great, we prevented ourselves from putting money in our artist pockets this year. Mm. And then if, yeah. if there's one thing that we could do to significantly protect ourselves, 
and have the biggest and best insurance policy ever. It's to come up with a model so that every single show captures their material and it's available to monetize for everyone in the future. Yeah, that's that's such an interesting thing moving moving forward, and I feel like it, it would be almost impossible not to make that case now. And and it and it strikes me as because you're so recognized for being a really innovative marketer, one of the most innovative marketers in the field, in theater in general. Um, you know, the uh, board game aside, uh, <laughs> that's what we call a callback in the industry. Um, so so. It occurs to me as you're talking about that, because I'm a uh, any all my listeners know I'm a student of Seth Godin and, you know, like the, you know, kind of like the marketer's marketer. And, you know, he talks about marketing very differently than many people do. Many people talk about it as if it's advertising, but he talks about it where marketing is really storytelling. It's just telling the right story to the right person at the right time to to give them something that they actually wanted. Right. Positive change for the person that wants it. And so it occurs to me that really the problem you have moving forward is it's a marketing problem more than it's just a matter of telling the story the way you just told it, which is if we take this risk and if you're willing to let us film this without having to spend this kind of cost because the cameras aren't on, what we're doing is we're actually creating security in the future should something like this happen again for everybody involved. It's a very different story than the one you 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 couldn't have told that story before a pandemic. You wouldn't have known you wouldn't have known how to tell that story. But now you can. Right. Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate that we have to go through a crisis for us to see what could have been. But if that's, again, you know, in these dark times, I try to look for any kind of blessing that can come out of them. And from being around your two-year-old or your four-month-old, or if we finally wake up and realize, like, wow, we've got to figure this out. We've got to figure this out. So speaking of dark times, I'm really curious if you're willing to, and you're a theater guy, I'm sure you are, uh, to go back a little bit to the kind of the dark time of like last March, March 2020, April 2020, when things were falling apart before we had the ability to do the silver lining conversation that we can kind of have now and when vaccines are rolling out and things. You know, I'm curious, what was the first what was the first the first thoughts that were going through your head? What were the emotions that hit you, you know, right at the beginning? Well, Look, not only are we theater people and the show must go on, but we're also New Yorkers. And New Yorkers are a very resilient breed. You know, things happen, like major things happen a block away from us. And we're like, eh, eh, I'll just walk down the other street, whatever it is, right? So then the most famous story of that is, of course, 9-11. Like, I was here that morning. I didn't see the first plane hit, but I saw the second plane hit on television. And I remember going, oh, my God, this is awful. I wonder what's happening. This is something is up. It's very specific. Now it seems like a target. I guess I'll go to work. And I went to work Mm -hmm. along with, you know, a million other people that went to work that day. And then when we got to work, we realized, oh, crap, this is different. We're going home. The next day we went to work again. Again, we went to work and then we realized, oh, something is definitely not right yet. And that's how it was here. Like we were like, oh, I guess we'll be out for the weekend. Boy. And my wife and I were just telling uh, a story about this and that, you know, I had a meeting with my writers like in the first few days after on a show and she brought me pizza for lunch. And it was like, oh, isn't this fun? We get to work from home. It was like a long snow day. (laughs) So the beginning of it wasn't the challenge. Mm -hmm. Six months in now, 
Now's the challenge. I just wrote a blog yesterday about this pandemic wall that the world is feeling right now, not just the theater industry. We're feeling it a little harder because we're always a little bit later than everyone else, you know? Uh, we were first out and then we'll be last to come back. And that's hard, especially because we've been hit so hard by it. So now's, now's the tough time. Now is when people are like, you know, it's Groundhog Day. It is just, yeah. when is it going to break? When is something going to get better? When, 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 when? Uh, and that's where it takes a lot of self-care. It takes a lot of talking to your fellow theater makers. And unfortunately, we can't do what we usually do, which is our best medicine, which is get in a rehearsal room. We can't do it. Right. Um, but we're, you know, we're, we're a tough breed. And we've, we've lost some people, literally. We've had some great tragedies because of this thing. We've also lost some people who have decided that they just can't do this anymore. But I will say this. Fewer people have quit, given up, gone home than I thought. Mm. Like I expected a mass exodus of theater makers from the city or from this business or career or this dream. And that hasn't happened. I mean, and it goes to the point of like, people in this business are not in it to make, I just put this on Facebook earlier today. No one's in this business to make money. <laughs> it's not why we're in it. Like that's just not it. So yeah. we're not gonna leave. We're not going anywhere. We're going to stick it out. It may hurt, but we're going to stick it out. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 been a haul. So maybe as we tail in here to the end, I know you obviously, like you were you and I were talking before we hit record, everybody wants to know, when's it coming back? You don't know. Nobody knows when it's coming back. But it, it, I, I, I do know this. It'll be a little bit later than we'd like. That's all. Yeah. That's all that I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, now. yeah, yeah, of course. It's uh, just going to be Always a little bit later. Like, yeah. Every, every so, I just keep moving the goalpost a little bit further. I, what I'm what I'm much more interested in though is not when it's coming back, but what would it take for it to come back? Because I my concern is there's a big difference between it being safe and feeling safe. And that people need to feel safe to come back to the theater, whether it is safe or not. So what would it take to make people because I, I can't imagine getting back into one of those Broadway theaters right now, no matter how much I love theater. That's that's the problem. And look, we've that's one of the struggles we have, of course, is not like whether it can be kept safe because you could look, you could put 100 people, 200 people, 300 people in a Broadway house right now. And it'd be more safe than some of the other stuff that I've seen around the world happen. Yeah. yeah. But we're not doing it and we won't do it. Socially, social distancing doesn't really work for us. It doesn't work for us economically. And it also it doesn't work for an ex experience wise. Right. We're not going to be like the NBA and pump applause in right like we're not going to do that sports has been so weird so weird but and they're televised they can do stuff like that a little bit more yeah. put up the cardboard cutouts and things and i listen i admire it strangely i'm like good for them they're yeah. trying all sorts of stuff and they're they're yeah. pulling some things off they had something so you know that really doesn't work for us and and you know it's we survive solely on word of mouth we don't survive on commercial deals and sponsorship we survive on those people having an unbelievable experience and then leaving uh, and then telling their friends that they must go see it. And yeah. that's hard to generate with uh, socially distanced audiences. So I think we're going to wait. I think it's going to take a vaccine. I think it's going to take Fauci himself yeah. saying, go to the theater, take your mask off, get thee to a theater or keep it on. And you can sit in the thousand. You're going to be fine. There's enough immunity out there. Don't worry about it. Or maybe you get a little sneeze. But frankly, that's the risk you had going to the theater last year. Yeah. So I think it's going to take that. 
I think it's going to take that yeah. before the audience really feels comfortable again, no matter what we do. Because now so much has been made to believe that it's so unsafe. Oh, yeah. it's, you know, it's totally shut down, totally shut down, totally shut down. And it's going to be last to come back. It's it's like it's like there's a nuclear reaction. It's like COVID is living and breathing inside the theater just waiting for us. That's not the case. Yeah. So we're going to have to do a lot of education uh, and, frankly, just a lot of vaccination in order to get people comfortable again. And that's it, me yeah. included. Me included. I was yeah. in a theater yeah. on March 10th seeing a show just as our former president, I'm happy to say that, um, was announcing <laughs> the travel ban from Europe. And I remember hearing people cough and being very nervous. And that also would affect our theater going. We don't, we, yeah. we can't have that. Yeah, that's right. Coughing goes from being annoying to being very threatening, actually. It just uh, takes you out of the experience. And anything yeah. that takes you out of the experience, whether it's a siren outside going by or someone laughing too loud even, to certainly, yeah. Uh, yeah, someone coughing, someone in, in, and if you haven't been vaccinated or you don't know, you're going to go like, oh, and miss the next line. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, oh, that's so funny. Over the top laugh guy. And, and uh, when, when you have that person, you're just like, I mean, it's funny, but like simmer down, man. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not your show. Yeah. I, you know, it's uh, just as a, as a side note on that, I saw Aladdin on Broadway a few years ago with the original cast. We got really lucky. Saw the whole 100% original cast. No understudies that night. Amazing. And we had like a five-year-old with a mom sitting right next to us. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, boy, it was fun to see that show through the eyes of this five-year-old. On the other hand, we had spent just as much and booked weekend tickets and spent thousands of dollars to go to New York City. And we had this five-year-old just like yelling in our ear the whole show. And you're just like, it's Aladdin. I got to be okay with the five-year-old getting excited, but also please be quiet and let me enjoy this show. <laughs> You'll have your revenge when your kid is five years old and you take him to see a show. It'll be karma to the couple <laughs> next to you. Like, sorry, it happened to us. Welcome to yeah, that, that's That's right. I, I have a lot more sympathy for the, the parents with the crying kids on airplanes after all those years of always looking back and being yeah. annoyed. And now I go like, oh my God, they're sitting with a screaming child on an airplane. <laughs> Yeah, I hear that. How miserable. So let me do real quick two kind of two final questions. And um, before we do that, where do you want people to uh, to find you, connect with you on social or otherwise? Uh, they can check out my blog, which is theproducersperspective.com or social is the best. Ken Davenport on Facebook or Ken Davenport B-Way on Instagram. That's the best way to get introduced to me and connect with me. These are two questions I'm asking everybody on the Pivot Project. The first one, I'm told, after dozens of these, is very difficult, apparently. Uh, so feel free to take an extra second to think, and I will cut out any super long pauses, unless it's particularly funny how long you take, in which case I will leave it in. Uh, the question is, how would you describe your 2020, your year of the Pivot, in one word? Relentless. That's a good word. You're the first person to use that word in dozens of these. I like that. Uh, and lastly, what characteristics or personality traits of yours would you say were crucial to your survival, if not your success in the last year? Relentless. <laughs> you, that's so good. So you would describe 2020 as relentless and your personality trait is relentless. Yeah, that, that's it. I mean, you have to, I'm sitting right now in my office in Times Square where, you know, I, I get up, it was 20 something degrees today and I got on a scooter because I still have not been on the subway and scooted uh, down 
to actually first to my uh, indoor golf club where I can hit golf balls because I'm a big a golfer. I'm a relentless golfer and I won't give that up either. And then I came to my office in Times Square and there's no one else on my floor. There's practically no one else in this building, practically no one else in Times Square. But I, I had to start coming to my office. I had to start getting myself into a routine of doing work, of being in the same routine that I was before, knowing that I will be in the same routine when I come out of this. Uh, and, and that kind of relentless, stubborn behavior, which this morning, you know, scooting to work in 20 degrees, I'm like, what an asshole I am. Like, this is stupid. <laughs> Stay home. You would have saved 30 minutes. But there's something about it. Like, I will. And I remember this from when I started. I remember doing some, my very first show that I wrote, directed, produced, all of it. I remember having to do a stupid errand for it because I couldn't afford anybody to help me. I didn't have any help. And and I remember like running through Times Square and doing this errand because I had to drop ticket stubs off at the TKTS booth. I was literally like running tickets. And I remember like looking up and going like, you're, you're not going to stop me from getting these tickets there or getting this show to work or getting my career to where I want it to be. And that's the same attitude I have every day waking up now. I'm not going to let this thing stop me. Uh, it's certainly given me its best shot and my industry and so many people I know and love. But I'm doing things like whatever I can do to help them as well. I'm just not going to let it stop me. So it and maybe I should sometimes maybe I should like pack it all in and uh, become a golf caddy or something. But no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to let it stop me. And nor should any of you out there doing whatever it is you want to do. You may have to pivot a little bit. You may have to adjust. You may, you know, come back. You know, often it's like you, you take a detour, but the detour eventually gets you back on the road where you want. So think about that instead of the pivot. The pivot doesn't have to stay exactly the direction that you're going right now. Call it a detour and you're amazed at what you discover when you sometimes take a little detour, that cool little restaurant that you wouldn't have found if you stayed on the main drag. So that's what you'll find. Just be open to that, but be relentless and, and go out whatever it is you want. And if that's the theater, great. Come on. The water will be fine when this is over. <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. And in other words, James Altucher was wrong. New York City is not dead. Uh, no, I wrote about that. I wrote about James. <laughs> I remember. I, I know James, and I love James. I, I I'm like. A fan. I like his work a lot. I wish Except I actually. I would love to. I've, I, I I tried to get him on my podcast years ago. Maybe I'd have an easier time now. But I like his work. But I was reading that article, shaking my head. And then when Jerry Seinfeld clapped back publicly, I was like, Oh snap! <laughs> it's just fear, and we get it. Like I have the same fear that James has and had and still do but yeah. you you can't just give up on something that you yeah. love and that you want to do no matter how hard it gets including right now great awesome ken thank you so much uh i really appreciate your insight and your uh, vulnerability in this in this conversation and uh best of luck with the theater and everything else coming back thanks so much thanks for having me